The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. So, very nice to um, be able to have the Dhamma talk today, and particularly in these COVID times. We still have the contact, contact with the Dhamma. And this morning, I'd like to dedicate this talk to uh, the venerable Jnana Ramata Mahatera. He's a German monk who passed away uh, due to COVID, so it's quite, quite topical, in Sri Lanka on the 1st of January, so only last week. And uh, he was 80 years old, uh, which of course, same as the Buddha, same year, uh, age as the Buddha passed away. And I knew him for 11 years. Uh, having met him in 2010. And I was requested to give a recollection uh, for his life for the uh, seven-day death anniversary, which was yesterday in Sri Lanka. So if you wish to read uh, that recollection that I, I wrote um, or watch the seven-day death anniversary uh, ceremony, which was held yesterday in Sri Lanka, um, you can do that by uh, looking at the live chat uh, with this uh, uh, broadcast. One of the reflections on the uh, at the seven day death anniversary is in English, but most of it is in Sinhala. And it was given by Venbulguta Sila, a New Zealand monk who helped write the recollection and had known uh, Venbulnyana Ramata since 1979, so it's quite a long time. So I'd like to begin the talk, as I often do, with a quote from the Buddha. Driven only by fear, do people go to many refuges, to mountains, forests, parks, trees and shrines. None of these is a secure refuge. None is a supreme refuge. By, not by going to such a refuge is one released from all suffering. So that's a quote from the Dhammapada and of course, it uh, gives the theme for the, the talk today, which is, of course, about refuge. And uh, this talk will actually be more of a general talk about refuge, what it is, um, and uh, uh, why we take refuge. In, uh, take refuge. And, uh, but it won't be specifically about the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, because I'll do that in another talk, actually. And, of course, in, in COVID times, as we have to, uh, these days, there is so much uh, uncertainty, fear and anxiety, sometimes anger, <laughs> sometimes depression, because these things go on for a long time. And so this, uh, in these, these times, we need uh, a, a source of strength, like something that gives us strength, something that gives us direction and purpose in our lives and something that makes sense of our experience. And gives us, uh, which gives rise to understanding of it actually. And it's very, this is very, very helpful. The Dhamma is very helpful in these times. And this ref, this uh, we can derive these, this strength actually from taking refuge as a foundation for our lives. So, uh, in a sense, we are all refugees seeking a safe haven. <laughs> and uh, so this is the sense because a refugee is looking for a refuge. And uh, the refuge is such a central part of Buddhism, isn't it? It really is at uh, um, uh, the, the heart of Buddhism. Uh, it's the heart of the, the refuge we take in Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And you don't hear so much of uh, taking refuge, do you, in other traditions? Though, of course, it's the essence of taking refuge is the essence of a sense of devotion. And uh, we have that in the Hindu tradition, of course, Bhakti, they call it. But this um, taking refuge is like an expression of faith. It brings up faith, actually, when we take refuge. And this is a, it's sometimes called a, like a controlling faculty in India. So faith is very important. Other names for it are, of course, uh, confidence, conviction, um, commitment maybe is okay too. And this is very important because it motivates us. This is what gives us the energy, it energizes our practice. So this is another uh, aspect of the, of the Indriya Virya. And it also is, 
um, stabilize or strengthen the mind in order to develop mindfulness, sati, and uh, one-pointedness, samadhi, or stillness, as Ajahn Brahm calls it, which then gives, can give rise to wisdom and understanding. So it's really an important aspect, this taking refuge, because it, it not only you can see that it energizes us uh, in other, other words, we can look at it looking at it energizes us to develop dana, giving, sharing, and to keep ethical, uh, an ethical uh, conduct of body, speech, and mind, of course, that's important, and to develop the mind, bhavana. But in essence, it's, it's the energy source, isn't it, for the Noble Eightfold Path, practicing the Noble Eightfold Path. And uh, at a very practical level, I mean, this is very mundane level, I suppose you say, it's membership of the Buddhist community. It makes one uh, a Buddhist. Of course, this is something that's totally um, uh, our choice. And I think that's an important thing to emphasize. But it reminds me of a saying from Groucho Marx, that famous <laughs> comedian, American comedian. He said, I wouldn't want to join any club that would have me as a member. I hope you don't feel like that. <laughs> but uh, of course, in the West too, many people don't like the labels. They don't like to be labeled, so they may not uh, wish to identify as necessarily being Buddhist, though their practice may be. But of course, taking these refuges uh, and the precepts as we did today, in a sort of public way, obviously online's not quite so public, it's like a statement or declaration of our intention. And it really can give strength to the mind. It can really um, bring it up as an important part of our daily life, our mindset. Um, and this reminded me of what uh, Anjan uh, Bodhidharma, one of the monks here, reminded me of a lovely Thai man in uh, Western Australia who would ask, often ask for the three refuges and five precepts on behalf of the community, that's the usual thing we do. But he would say, he'd ask for the three refugees and the five precepts. <laughs> so that really fits in with the, the theme that I have to the day, that we're all in reality refugees until we've realized the Dhamma, then we have reached the refuge. Uh, and then the, there is no sense of insecurity, fear, prompting our lives. We know what reality is about. So the important thing with the refuges, of course, we don't just take them one time and get it over with, as it were. It's, we can make it part of our daily practice uh, of taking the uh, refuges and, and the precepts too. It can be very good. And it's something I like to do every day, actually, to start the day. I take uh, the ref uh, do the namotasa and then take the refuges. And I enjoy taking them in English too. So I'd uh, encourage you, if, if that's more meaningful for you, to take them in English. Of course, the Pali for traditional Buddhists brings up a lot of emotion, of feeling with it. So when we take refuge, it just reminds us, especially on a daily basis, it keeps in mind what is important for us. And it also creates a conditioning or a habit in the mind, a tendency or an inclination in the mind and gives it, as I said, direction before where we tend to go. So it's an important way to frame our, our experience of life. And, of course, refuge, when you, when you contemplate it, you realise the combination of um, emotion, actually the emotional side is very strong, isn't it, really? Because it's the emotion of faith or confidence, sandha, we certainly call it in uh, Pali. And it's also in, comes from an intellectual understanding as well, which is uh, panya, we'd say in Pali, wisdom. Because it's based on an under uh, reason and it's based on a logical. Uh, assessment of our experience of our life, what what we experience, and of course it's it's sort of an ongoing thing. Refuge, we we're looking into it, considering uh, uh, our experience, checking up, investigating our experience. So it it's uh, refuge is not just a one time thing. It develops over our lives, and as our practice deepens, not surprisingly, isn't it? 
our refuge will also deepen too. So this is, and of course, as the practice develops, as we feel we get, as we get benefits from our practice, whether it be from practicing generosity, whether from practicing uh, ethical conduct of body, speech, and mind, whether it's developing the mind through meditation, sati, mindfulness, and through samadhi, one-pointedness, or stillness, we can call it. This will, when we get these benefits, will tend to deepen our refuge, our respect. And of course, uh, it makes me remember uh, uh, Ajahn Chah once said that until a person becomes a stream entrer, this is the first stage of enlightenment, they don't really know what the Buddha, Dhamma, and the Sangha are. They don't really know. But once they know, and then this is one of the qualities of a stream entrer. They have unshakable confidence, unshakable faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha because they realise for themselves, this is now my experience. So uh, then the Buddha must have been enlightened. The Dhamma uh, is, is in fact reality and the Sangha are uh, the Sangha of enlightened uh, monks, nuns and laymen. They, they really exist because this becomes from our own experience. So. Refuge is a very, very important part of our practice. And uh, I'll just give you the dictionary definition, of course, <laughs> of what refuge is. I think everybody knows, but it, it's quite good. Um, that it's defined as a shelter or protection, as from weather or danger. And it can be any place, person, action or thing that offers, on the, and this is an important thing, or appears to offer protection, help or relief. So for me, when I read that definition, it brings up, well, what are the dangers we're taking refuge from? <laughs> um, many people um, may wonder about that. Well, what are we taking refuge? Why are we taking refuge? What's the purpose? And of course, the, we're taking refuge because of our experience of life. It's not a theoretical sort of thing at all because we all experience uh, difficulties in life. We experience the uh, old age, sickness, death, and the classic the classic list is sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. But that's all the, the negative emotions, isn't it, that we can possibly experience, whether it be depression, anger, anxiety, fear, all those things. So this is why we're taking refuge, because we want like the, uh, the Buddha, the Bodhisattva to be. We want to find a way of dealing with this, of reducing the impact. And for the Bodhisattva, it was to overcome these things, go beyond them, to go beyond the unsatisfactoriness or suffering of life, that life has always got these mental and physical problems, whether it be the physical aspect related to the body, as I mentioned, old age, sickness and death, they're a very important motivator for the bodhisattva in his search, his noble search, but also the mental problems that we experience and mental difficulties we experience in our lives. And that is what the Dhamma can overcome. The body, it will always have the nature of the body. <laughs> and all bodies have to, if they live long enough, they will get old, they'll get sick and pass away. But the mind, now that's another thing altogether. And so this is not a really theoretical uh, reason that we take uh, refuge. It is really very strong, driven by experience, very strong experience sometimes, isn't it? You know, mental, some things like stress in our lives, whether it be at work, school or home, the anxiety, fear, depression, anger, we may experience from, you know, this COVID uh, uh, the, the current COVID situation. And of course, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, it is this repeated rebirth that we're going to go through as well too. It's not just one time, but we need wisdom to see that. So the Bodhisattva, he went, he found the solution, didn't he, really, to the end of all suffering. And that was, of course, Nibbana. And so this is where all Buddhists are aiming at, whether immediately or later down the track, often, as that's the case. And of course, the, the, um, the refuge too is too, taking refuge, in, uh, taking refuge in the Dhamma because 
of the danger of misunderstanding reality. This is what's actually causing a lot of our suffering, actually, is really misunderstanding what reality is about. And it's coming, of course, we know in the Buddhist terms from ignorance, avijja, delusion, moha, and wrong view, uh, which is michaditi. And these are all, these lead to the distortions of perceptions. We, we don't, we, uh, we suffer when we expect things to be permanent, <laughs> to last, and uh, uh, when they change and when they're unreliable, uh, not dependable and uncertain. It gives rise to this insecurity, which we very much as the experience of COVID in the last two years. So this understanding of uh, impermanence is really central to understanding reality, as is um, dukkha, I just mentioned, unsatisfactoriness, and uh, another translation, of course, suffering or imperfection, I quite like. If we understand that, it reduces uh, our uh, difficulties in life a great deal, and it can lead to the end of all uh, suffering. Because we understand that desire, the central, the central understanding, it's pretty radical actually, the central understanding of the Four Noble Truths is that desire doesn't lead to fulfilment. We just get, we just get more and more desire. It just makes us, like uh, the simile of it, just makes us more thirsty, like drinking salt water. We want more of it. And in essence, if it uh, becomes very severe, it, it becomes addiction. And uh, so this, uh, this is really quite a radical um, uh, teaching when we say desire or, or tanha, wanting, leads to the difficulties, the suffering, the unsatisfactoriness in our lives. But also the other aspect of reality that we, we, we are not seeing and when we take refuge, this helps a great deal. And that is uh, the danger that we have of taking everything personally. Now, this is real mega suffering for us, actually. Everything, what people say to us, the way they look at us sometimes, we feel, you know, uh, it's, it's something about us, you know. And it's this personal, taking everything from a personal stance, not realising that reality is that this person that I see, myself, other people, is just a body and a mind. It's a process. It's a process, not a person that's there. Of course, this is the teaching of Anatta. And of course, the other thing that um, the uh, refuges are protecting us from, refuges protecting us from, the danger of making bad karma through our actions of body, speech, and mind. And this is. And some people may say, well, you know, that's not too bad, but, it, you know, you don't get the immediate results. But sometimes people do get the immediate results of their bad actions and body, speech and mind, as in the cases when we say something quite hurtful or um, nasty and then the person reacts immediately uh, and there are consequences. So if we keep uh, uh, good uh, good, if we keep good ethical conduct of body, speech and mind, then it will lead to happiness for sure here. It will lead to a less complicated life. It will lead to a less, uh, less of a melodrama in our lives. And it will lead to, as I say, this happiness here and now. And of course, the Buddha says, and in future lives too. And of course, goes hand in hand with that, isn't it? It really is. This refuge is also um, a uh, protecting us from the danger of a bad rebirth. Because of our actions, we can uh, take a bad rebirth. And of course, bad rebirths in Buddhist sense is anything below the human world, human realm. So as animals or ghosts or even hell beings. And often, I think it's well worth uh, reflecting too, what do I usually take refuge in? What do I usually take refuge in? It's really, for me, I think, uh, reflecting on where do I usually seek happiness, safety, security, uh, protection and help? And of course, um, the short answer in Buddhism 
is in the Buddhist teaching is our attachments, upadana. These are the things that we, we, we seek happiness from. These are the things that we turn to in difficult times. And just using the definition from dictionary, you know, of taking refuge in people, places, things and activities, that get, this is a very broad way of looking at it. But of course, the refuge in people, we all know that uh, so much of uh, the meaning of life, uh, our security and safety is invested in relationships. Relationships uh, are a big part of life and they're a big part of our security blanket, aren't they? But also we, we do uh, take refuge in teachers, whether they be uh, secular teachers or spiritual teachers. Um, that's another area that we can uh, uh, take refuge in. Whether they're suitable refuges is another thing altogether. <laughs> and of course, one of the biggest refuges, isn't it, in terms of you know people, uh, in a sense, people, is taking refuge in God. You know, and this is what the theistic religions do. You know, whether it be Islam, Judaism, or Christianity, they're taking refuge in God. You know. And uh, so this is a very, very important refuge for many people. And uh, other people too take refuge in people like artists, singers, actors, all these sorts of people. And it's, a, it's, it's in a sense uh, often a refuge in, uh, especially art, in beauty, taking a refuge in beauty. But these, again, whether these uh, people are suitable refuges is a debatable thing. It will depend on their conduct, their wisdom, all those things. And the other refuges people take, don't they, uh, are in politicians. We've seen that over history. And even sports stars, and we see, we see that very, very currently with a tennis player who's uh, in detention, in, uh, who's in quarantine, I should say, in Melbourne at present. And uh, so these are some of the people we can take refuge in. And places, this is a, this is a people like to take refuge in places, traveling to beautiful places. That's not possible now so much, is it? Except within Australia. And uh, people, I think, uh, in, uh, in more than any other time before, are really discovering Australia <laughs> because they can't go overseas that easily. But also, we tend to take uh, refuge in natural places. So, and this is lovely, you know, when we go to a forest, go to uh, bushwalks, all these sorts of things, are, um, they have an effect on the mind and they can be a refuge from the hurly-burly of our lives. But also, of course, holy places. And that uh, ver those verses from the Dhammapada, of course, are, alluding to that, that people would go to these mountains, forests, particular trees uh, and shrines to, uh, for a sense of refuge in times of difficulty. And I do see it in Sri Lanka, you know, um, um, having lived there 14, almost 14 years, I'd see people go to temples and, you know, all times of day, interestingly, but it's obvious that it was very much at times when they were particularly, uh, they were big problems in their lives. So you see them go to the Bodhi tree and it's got lovely sand area around it, white sand area around it, and they'd sit there quietly or do some chanting. Um, and and you'd see students come there for when their exams were about to happen, they'd go and see the monks and get a blessing, that sort of thing. So these holy places do have an effect on the mind. And uh, of course, whether they they're a, they're a refuge in a sense, but only temporary refuge. And people also take refuge in things, don't they? Um, and this is usually through our senses, all our possessions, our money, uh, all those things that people um, uh, find important in their life, status, power, all those things. Uh, taking refuge in things and. The other area that uh, this dictionary definition was talking about is taking refuge in activities. Wow, we can really do that, can't we? We can really become uh, uh, identified with, seek uh, refuge in our in the things we do, 
you know, you hear of workaholics, workaholics, uh, people who invest a lot of time and obviously they, they find a certain, certain sense of satisfaction uh, and happiness and uh, stability from that work, doing that work. And uh, you can get it from many different other activities like uh, gambling is a negative one, you know, betting on horse races. Uh, um, you can see uh, eating is a very popular activity one people take refuge in. And I've heard during the pandemic, of course, some people when they've had the lockdowns of being at home, they said they put on a lot of weight <laughs> because they're, they're so close to the refrigerator. And it's, it's also eating for comfort, isn't it? Eating for security. So this is where the refuge, sense of refuge takes. Uh, it has its place. And of course, drinking, whether it be, uh, it's often drinking, thing, you know, alcohol and things like that, or taking drugs. These are all activities that people take refuge in. Sport is a really big one here in Australia. And as I mentioned, uh, the uh, tennis with uh, Novak uh, Djokovic. Uh, yeah, I think I've got it wrong. <laughs> and uh, tennis and uh, also the cricket, all these things, whatever it be. It can, uh, sport is a universally popular thing. But the Buddha's analysis, of course, goes far deeper than that def dictionary definition. And he's looking at our attachments in, in terms of our sense pleasures, you know, in terms of four areas, our sense pleasures, um, a sense of self, our views, and also in terms of rites and rituals. And that's looking at it in a much deeper way, how we, you know, with uh, sense pleasures, we get caught up with appearances, how we look, you know, and uh, how others look. And, and to me, the one of the uh, symbols of this, actually quite strong symbols, is the selfie. You know, these days the selfie is so, you know, people take so many because so it's for the social media and we've got to look good and uh, that, in a sense, uh, becomes part of our sense of uh, uh, of being okay if we look good. And uh, interestingly, you know, sites in terms of sites and sounds really on the internet, they have a new term I was told about recently called clickbait, clickbait, which means that when you see something, then you click on it. And often this is uh, the reason for clicking on something is because it's very attractive, either it's a very attractive looking site or whatever or a very attractive person and so much of advertising is built on this principle so we we see something attractive and we immediately click on it so it's like a hook or a hook that uh, draws us in and uh, you know there's a whole lot of things that's uh, included in science and all the uh, you know the people in our lives the, the things in our houses etc and there's also, you know, music, sounds, of course. This is another part of the analysis of uh, attachments. We get very attached to music, particular types of music, uh, particular singers. You know, when I was young, the, some of these singers were almost like gurus. <laughs> and uh, also we like, you know, talking, whether it be um, verbally or on the internet through messaging. And of course, a biggie of attachments is, uh, and refuge, in a sense, is our favourite foods, tastes. We, you know, as I say, we eat for comfort, we eat for pleasure, but we also eat for security. And it can lead, of course, those sorts of things can lead to health problems, can't they? Obesity, diabetes, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, those things, yeah. We also smells, you know, experience of smells. We're often attracted to perfumes, incense and flowers, those sorts of things, which cover up the unpleasant smells, for one thing. Yeah. And uh, so smell is a very important um, aspect of our experience that we can get attached to. But, of course, the attachment to touches is uh, the body. Our attachment to the body is so, is so strong. Um, because it's a vehicle for our, our uh, experience, it, it really um, is one of the foremost attachments, looking for comfort for the body, 
It's so difficult to get it just right, isn't it? <laughs> not too hot, not too cold, all those things. And also it's a vehicle for our sexual relationships, for the sport that people like to play, gym, exercises, every, so many things. The whole of our lives actually, if you look at it in depth, is centered around the body. But the, the Buddha, he said our big, one of our big attachments also is to self. I, me, and mine is really, um, is really the uh, one of the big things that we take refuge in, and of course it's a liability. It just makes us more vulnerable, isolated, and alienated from others, doesn't it? It's really not a, not something to treasure and to see that uh, think of as a refuge, and it's it comes from when we identify with our bodies and our minds as like we think we're the owners. And of course, other things that, would, that build up a sense of, of self, who we are, are our likes and dislikes. I remember that very much, the sort of music I liked, and my friends all liked the same music, <laughs> that sort of thing. Politics, it's very much the same, isn't it, too, these days, with a lot of uh, division in society. You know, uh, people tend to have, uh, the, the friends that they have, got similar views, political views. And of course, there's, our cultural identification with being, you know, Australian, Sri Lankan or whatever. And more basic than that really is our identification with our gender, whether we're male, female or other uh, these days. So all these things, you know, are part of uh, this self-view and nearly everything, you know, we can uh, attach through the self-view to pleasure, you know, and all the sorts of things. We can think of ourselves as a, you know, if it's in terms of food, foodie, people use that term, you know, and there are people focus on, focus on different aspects of their sensory experience. And, and as I mentioned before, we can identify with doing, with activity, that can be a big and very important for us. You know, the power, status, position, and money, all those things. And we can see that these things are, uh, uh, motivate us, they're an attachment. And, and for some people, this can be a refuge, but it's not a good refuge because these are all subject to impermanence. And we can identify some people, some, some of the times we identify with our hindrances and negative, negative qualities, and we can think, oh, I'm just an angry person, I'm just a depressed person, I'm hopeless, I'm this, I'm that. But of course, the third aspect of our attachments that the Buddha often referred to were our views. Our views we're really seeing these days, aren't we? How powerful they are in terms of our experience of life. But then what we identify with too. We identify with them because we know them. We, we, and it gives a stronger sense of ourself, um, which is the whole purpose of, of these views. And of course, the it can be views, you're well aware of the gambit of views that are available, it's just an unlimited amount really. COVID-19 has really, uh, really uh, caused a great variety of views, whether it's anti-vaxxing, whether it's uh, um, you know, anti-lockdown, whether it's whatever, there are lots and lots of different views on this. And all the uh, philosophy, psychology, politics, of views about that, nationalism, all these sorts of views are a scientific and rational approach. But the two major views that the Buddha was concerned about, and uh, these are the ones that people often take refuge in, as I mentioned, is a view of a God and an eternal life hereafter. That's one view that the Buddha um, rejected from his own experience he rejected the other extreme he said was a view that everything ends when the body dies call it nihilism and he rejected that too and he pointed out the middle way between that, the process of uh, dependent origination this is how the, the uh, experience of life is arising from processes not from a person <laughs> So uh, both of those he rejected, those views. But we can attach to these um, very strongly. And you see uh, when people start to develop causes, isn't it, based on a view, whether it be about politics or COVID, <laughs> 
COVID-19 and the environment, social justice, they can, they can be very passionate, very caught up in it. And so this is uh, another part of what we're taking refuge in. And it's something that can often lead to very unwholesome uh, qualities developing. And the last one that the Buddha mentioned was rites and rituals. And these are activities that we think are going to mm, bring uh, enlightenment or awakening for us. And there's some really classic ones at the time of the Buddha. Uh, two uh, two uh, spiritual practitioners who were behaving like dogs and and one, one was behaving like a dog and the other was behaving like an ox. And for them, they thought this would bring a moksha, this would bring release, this would bring awakening. My goodness, it's an unusual idea, isn't it? <laughs> no bit shocked when the Buddha pointed out to them the results of their practice would actually be rebirth as a dog or an ox, definitely as an animal. So this rites and rituals we can we can more generalize more to routines and schedules and they give us a feeling of comfort reassurance security we've got a context for our life and and we're part of a tradition and of course we can take precepts in exactly the same way you know they are not so not as a meaningful um, activity so so we're looking more at what is what are worthwhile um, refuges and of course these are uh, not external refuges internal refuges because these they're not safe refuges these things and we can't really own them they're only temporary and uh, we can't take them with us that's the usual expression isn't it and so they're subject to change in security they're always going to be unsatisfactory those refuges those attachments that i mentioned because they're imperfect and they can't completely fulfill us and then non-self, it's a process, it's nothing personal. And we, when we have these attachments, we expect too much from them. We, we expect them to fulfill us and it creates this unrealistic pressure in our life. And the result, disappointment often. And our attachments don't lead us to going. These, these attachments don't lead us to going beyond suffering, to the end of all suffering or to awakening. So. We can ask what are worthwhile uh, refuges and of course, first of all, are our bodies a refuge? And uh, as I mentioned before, they're in reality, they're a liability. <laughs> they're subject to, as for all bodies to old age, sickness and death. So the, the next area we can look at is can our minds be a refuge? And of course, this, this is an area where we can take shelter from an uncertain world. This is where there is an internal refuge. We can take an internal refuge. Of course, for many people in, in times of COVID, during the lockdowns, their minds are actually like a prison for them because they're not developed those minds. They're not developed those qualities, not developed those wisdom that make the mind a refuge. Their minds may be a torment, and this is, uh, you can see this when people are locked down, when they're in prison, those things. They have to be, live with themselves, and they find that difficult. But um, I'd like to quote from the Buddha when he said, uh, monks, dwell with yourselves as an island, with yourselves as a refuge, with no other refuge, with the Dhamma as an island with the Dhamma as a refuge, with no other refuge. And he taught this teaching on a number of occasions with different emphasis for what we need to practice if we, we want to, uh, uh, to be an island unto ourselves and to be a refuge to ourselves and uh, what aspect of Dhamma we should practice. So we can take refuge in our good qualities, our generosity, our virtue, fact that we don't kill people, we just took the five precepts, we don't steal, we don't engage in sexual misconduct, we don't lie, and we don't take alcohol and drugs. These are, these are wonderful gifts to ourselves for a happy life and also for a peaceful life for us and for others. And we can take refuge in our kindness, our compassion, our harmlessness and gentleness. And also selflessness when we give to others. That sort of like really comes under generosity, whether it be material things or give it time. And of course, 
we can take refuge. This is the, the main refuge, really, in uh, um, the main refuges, mainly in sati, mindfulness. The present moment is a wonderful place to take refuge from the past and the future. That's where most of our grief comes from. And also in samadhi, in one-pointedness, when the mind comes together with real stability. But of course, this all leads and supports uh, the development of wisdom or understanding, as I like to call it, which is coming from experience and has to be, for us, it has to be direct experience, our own experience, to really go deep, to really qualify as real wisdom. So we can take good uh, refuge in developing our good qualities even more and more through the uh, path of practice, that's the Noble Eightfold Path, so I'd like to conclude with saying, uh, encouraging all of us to develop our inner refuge. It's so important at this time of COVID, any time it's important. And to tap into the power that this refuge can give us, this energy source, which is the power of inspiration, isn't it? To deepen our, the emotion of faith that we experience or confidence, Sometimes we call it conviction or commitment. And it deepens our aspirational intentions to practice the Noble Eightfold Path with more and more sincerity and commitment in order, what's the purpose of all this? To develop the ultimate refuge, Nibbana. So I'd like to finish there with the, the talk there with uh, that encouragement for us to find real refuge, refuge in the heart, refuge in the mind, internal refuge. And as I mentioned before, I will talk in my next talk, I think it'll be the next one, on ref taking refuge in the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha. So I'd like just first of all, before we take the um, questions, if there are any questions, comments or complaints, at least to dedicate the merit of uh, today's talk to Venerable Nyana Ramata, the German monk who passed away in Sri Lanka that I mentioned before. And so may I wish for him and may Venerable Nyana Ramata have finished with being reborn. But if he has not finished with being reborn, may he have a radiant rebirth where he can continue his practice of the Dhamma for the ending of all rebirth. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Now I just do the chanting, brief chanting, just to conclude the dedication of merit. Etavata chamhei sampatam punya sampadam sambe deva anamodantu sambasampati sindhya etavata chamhei sampatam punya sampadam sambe buta anamodantu sambasampati sindhya etavata chamhei sampatam punya sampadam sambe sata anamodantu sambasam Bhaktis India, Akasanta Jambumata, Devanaga Mahindika, Punyantam Anamoditwa, Chiramra Kantu Sasanam, Akasanta Jambumata, Devanaga Mahindika, Onyantang anamoditwa, chirangra kantu desana, akasata chabumata, devanaga mahindika, Punyantang Anamoditwa Chirangra Kantu Twamsana Idangmenya Dinang Hotu Sukita Hontunyatayo Idangmenya Dinang Hotu Sukita Hontunyatayo Idangmenya Dinang Hotu Sukita Hontunyatayo May you Abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will, in freedom from anxiety, and may you maintain well-being in yourself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. 
may go well for you, Bhante. So I'd like to conclude the talk and the dedication of merit. Uh, and now if there are any comments, questions or complaints, you're welcome to bring them up now. About, about refuge or whatever, uh, about areas you'd like to ask a question or comment about. Thank you, Arjun. Um, we currently have just one question. Oh, good. Um, so good evening from Florida in the US. Florida. How do I stop a sudden rush of anxiety? Ah, right. How do I stop a sudden rush of anxiety? That's very, very uh, um, uh, important question at this these days. And I think, uh, first of all, one of the things that uh, is, is very um, useful to do is to take some deep breaths uh, and to just come into the present moment. The breathing's always in the present moment, just to come into the present moment because the anxiety and the panic, isn't it, for all of us we know, coming from the future. We're worrying about the future. The future's going to overwhelm us. We're going to be destroyed. Uh, it's going to be too much. Um, it's going to be awful. That's usually what comes with it. It's really more of a feeling. And uh, so this deep breathing is very helpful. And it, as I say, it can bring us immediately into the present moment. So I'd suggest that for you. And also uh, there's a very good breathing technique that I use myself that's uh, excellent for this too, for anxiety, fear, and so on, um, is uh, the four, seven, eight breath that Dr. Andrew Weil, W-E-I-L, yeah, I think that's it, he teaches it. And uh, it's on the YouTube, you can see it yourself. And this one, one I think the, the best one for the summary of how to do it is called Asleep in 60 Seconds. I don't think that's quite true, but it's, uh, it certainly can help when one is sleepless too. So uh, please look that up and uh, use the breath. But of course, um, the other thing that I think is very, very useful is really to identify where we're feeling it in the body. Um, usually, you know, the feeling of anxiety, fear, um, uh, panic is usually for many people in the stomach sort of area or abdomen sort of area. And then, you know, for myself, I can, I can, uh, I often would use in that case breathing in meta and breathing it to that area, breathing this meta, this kindness, this sense of soothing of caring, if you can bring up an emotion, a feeling like that, and then give it to that area, it, it can make a dramatic difference to that experience. And the, the important thing to do too is to develop that, uh, if you develop this as a habit, you know, this uh, um, using uh, meta kindness or loving kindness uh, to these areas with the breath, this will become a habit which will tend to replace some of these tendencies to have panic attacks. Um, you can see, I think anybody that has experienced these, I know of practitioners that have, they can be very, uh, very distressing and they have a, a, a really regular pattern. Often it's two or three in the morning that people get these uh, panic attacks, can happen anytime really, but uh, I've heard of people having them at that time. And uh, it's really developed as a habit, becomes stronger and stronger. Um, but we can replace it with this habit of using meta kindness, caring, soothing, um, this feeling. It's very important that it comes from the feeling uh, uh, towards that uh, physical experience of panic, of um, anxiety. And that way, that area will relax. And, and it's interesting, once the physical relaxes, the mind tends to go with it too. You've already got that loving kindness or kindness in mind. So the mind is already in a better state. But it turns into quite a powerful way to deal with anxiety uh, and panic um, in an effective, effective way. So I hope that uh, helps you. The present moment is our refuge, really. <laughs> I mentioned it in the talk, but it is an important, important refuge because it's a safe place from the past and the future. 
the past is gone, can't do anything about it. The future, it's really unsure. We don't know really, even though, you know, we can futurize and we can have terrible scenarios of how it's going to be. I mean, just experience reflection, isn't it? Is how often those those um, you know anxious thoughts of how it's going to be, how overwhelming, turn out to be completely wrong, completely different from the reality. And it's good to have that in mind. That that can help a bit. But really, the feeling level is what we need to access. So this um, kindness, soothing, caring, very important for relaxing that anxiety, letting go of it. No, giving us the feeling we're safe and we are safe when we have that quality in the mind. And it's the fear, the anxiety, the panic that's making us uh, suffer and, uh, and feel this incredible distress uh, and alarm. So I wish you well for trying those uh, different uh, approaches to dealing with panic. So thank you very much, Ignacio. I don't know if there's anyone else. Uh, thank you, Ajman. Um, there's currently no more questions, so yeah, I think All we should right. be good. So we can finish off in that case uh, by paying respects, if you wish to, you can join me. Paying respects, I won't bow because it's a bit difficult <laughs> in this, this setup. Uh, paying respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. Arahang Samma Sambuddha Bhagawa Buddham Bhagawantam Abhivadevi Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo Dhammam Namasami Supatipano Bhagavato Sawaka Sanko Sankam Namami Sadhu 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 Sadhu. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, if you're interested in reading the recollection, please see the live chat. There's a, a link for that recollection. Or if you're interested in listening to, seeing the uh, seven day death anniversary ceremony that was in Sri Lanka yesterday and contains, which contains some English, an English reflection, please look at the link in the live chat too. Thank you very much.